0: Good morning. (laughs) morning. I've been traveling a lot. (laughs) Um, And and I know, and I've been sick a lot. It's been pretty crazy. Um, And so I have missed being here. And um, it feels nice to see you again and to get to share my testimony about God. Sergio, oh just to start, Sergio, um, he brought his, his Bible, and he showed you, this is my first Bible, <laughs> what's left of it, it, it went through, um, it went through the beach, and it got in a tidal wave kind of thing, um, it went through theology school, and it has a 1,000 markers, and it has notes everywhere. It's a King James, because that's what they gave me at the evangelistic crusade I came. And um, then I think what really killed it was we went through a snowstorm, and somehow, so I ended up having to carry it in my bag, and I was so afraid that somebody would steal it, because it had all my sermon notes, that I, I got a really ugly bag to carry it and it went all through Indonesia with me and uh it's it's still like I feel it's like alive does your bible feel alive sometimes mine does and then I have a second bible um which is at home and it's covers coming off too but this was my third one and this one (laughs) I don't know if you can see it this big chunks taken out of it right here and it's all discolored That was the pineapple incident of 1994 (laughs) where a pineapple salad fell onto my Bible, and I didn't find it for two days. And then my whole Bible was stuck together, but it was like my favorite, one of my, and so um, I'm not very good on my Bibles. (laughs) I wish I read it even more, you know, so that the words were in here. Off the pages and in here. But I want to start a story today. And I'm asked for a little prop because we know this story. It's over and over. And I'm going to ask Jesse to come up and help me to begin the story. (coughs) Hi, hi. uh, I thought you might... Oh. I I thought that you might uh, help me. I have a friend going through some stuff. Okay. Yeah, um, I can't seem to find what I'm looking for. I need a card. We've got cards. You got cards? Oh, great. What are you looking for? Well, he had some problems. He had this like Sabean gang came over and like um, killed his donkeys. Took his donkeys. Do you have any donkey missing cards? Kind of looks like a donkey. Oh yeah, donkey uh, it's kind of a Chihuahua with bad teeth. Donkeys. Well, he is ha- it's like 500 donkeys. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and and there was 500 oxen too. He kind of lost those guys. Yeah. You got anything for oxen in there? Well, oh, how about the cat with the Christmas hat? Oh, how about a bulldog? Oh, bulldog, bulldog, yeah. Looks like a bulldog oxen. Yeah. Okay. Well, he had some other things happen. Well, then you're not going to believe it, but I mean, fireballs came out of heaven. Boom, just like that. 7,000 sheep gone. He lost everything. Got any fireballs from heaven cards? That's kind of startling. Oh, that is very startling. Oh, no, that's the wicked wife one. I don't I don't think no. Nah. Okay. Um, yeah, he has his wife wasn't too hot either. You know? Yeah, no. Yeah. Somehow God spared her of all the things that happened. So, okay, okay, we got the donkey. Oh, then they he had yeah, these Chaldean gang came over and decided to take his camels. He had like 3,000 camels. It's just unbelievable. I mean, how do they even c- carry off 3,000 camels? Do you have any missing Chaldean gang-related Flowers. camely? Flowers. Okay, okay, okay. Well... Yeah, I could use that one for his wife because she was like really, she didn't help much. He got some nasty friends too. But then, after all that was over, he, he kind of got attacked with boils on his feet. You got any boils on the feet one? Oh, how about that guy? Oh, look at them. I, yeah, that looks shocking. Well, then the boil kind of went all over his body. Yeah, it was really bad. He's—it's really gross. <laughs> he like has to sit in a hole outside town. Listen, just give me all these. Uh, I'm sure he needs everything. In. Oh yeah, a lady singing, a gorilla—that would be good. Okay, uh, thank you very much, Jesse Lopez. Hallmark—it's it, always the—it's t- always the ticket for me. Thank you. Yeah. Do you ever really put on the story of Job? Can you look around and look at your children and your family and say, a big wind came and knocked down a building, and all my children died. Seven sons, three daughters. I mean, we don't even think about it. We pass through that story, and it's it's easy just to read it and say, oh, that's sad that happened to you. And then to think that he, he, he sat there in a hole covered with these sores. And by the time in Job you get to the chapters of 6 and 7, you finally see what his soul is going through. And here is the question. Where is God when you are in pain? Where is God when you have perpetual, chronic, unbearable, how did he put it? Unrelenting pain. Do you know anybody that has that? Are you going through that yourself? You know. Here's the story, and he he gets to the point, and I want to read in in chapter seven. I'll just start just a little part of it. You can finally see where what his soul is like. Does not a man have a hard service on earth? Are not his days like those of a hired man, like a slave longing for the evening shadows, or a hired man waiting eagerly for his wages? So I have allotted the months of frutility. and uh, futility, and the nights of misery have been assigned to me. When I lie down, I think, how long before I get up? The night drags on, and I toss till dawn. My body is clothed with worms and scabs. My skin is broken and festering. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and they come to an end without hope. Remember, O God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. And then in verse 15, he finally kind of cries out, that i prefer strangling in death rather than this body of mine i despise my life i would not live forever let me alone my days have no meaning pain is is one of the hardest tests that humans go through when you look at job i mean this is a harder than the loss of your family Harder than the loss of everything you own is the loss of your body. And it's a terrible test. But who gave Job that test? Satan. That's right. He challenged God. God said, look at my man. And he said, oh, sure. Sure he loves you, God, because you give him everything. He's the greatest man in the valley. He says, let me take it away and see if he loves you. And Job says, yeah, well, I love you," he says. "Well, skin for skin, let me take away his body, and see how long he loves you." And when he comes to this test, Job does not easily pass this test. Job actually begins to falter and prays that he would rather die. That's a hard test. Notice that he doesn't take his wife. God, Satan does. Because she's not much of a threat to his goodness, she was kind of a pain. And oh, curse God and die! You know, get it over with and die, Job. That was her great loving advice. And then he had a groups of friends that came around that he finally said, "You are no help to me." So you have this picture of a man who is so tested that his spirit is broken, that the loss is so great. That he has no meaning. There's no hope. There's nothing to look forward to. He's lost it all. And I want to, and the reason that um, I love this story, that it was so encouraging to me, is because I want you to know that when I was young, I used to do, I used to hike, walk, all that. I could we had a four-mile track around where I live. I could do it in less than an hour, 45 minutes, four miles. I could do some hiking, and we used to chop trees and all kinds of stuff, and I loved it. I became a health—a manager of a health food store, and there was a leaking refrigerator. We were running back and forth. I was always running. I was still always running. And um, all of a sudden, I see this water. I go to clean it up. I slip in it. I land it on my hip. And changed my whole life and I don't really most people never even know that I went through this because it's been a long time but it's still with me I didn't get to get over it I still got it and so here I am and the first thing they did I was put in the hospital I was given a lot of medication my friends came to see me they said I was very funny I don't remember any of it um, they sent me to uh, all kinds of, I'm in this attraction unit. I was in the traction unit for, oh, must have been two weeks. And um, my father came to see me and told me, oh, you always were a bit lazy. I can't even tell you what a thorn in my heart that was at that moment of my life. And um, so, and that went on. I got out of the hospital and I began, you begin a process when you go through an injury or something where they send you to all different kinds of people to try to see who can help you. Because I was getting all these tests and they couldn't find anything. And so I ended up going to this chiropractor who made me hold these metal rods and then he sweeps brooms all over my body. And I was like, hmm. I said, this is interesting, I've never seen this before. And he goes, yeah, it's not, le- it's not legal in America. And there was, I was like, oh. <laughs> and then I had to go, they sent me to this person that was, um, wanted me to visualize my pain. And she said, close your eyes and visualize. that said, I see a mountain of fire in my SI joint, you know. And um, when I had fallen, I tilted, tipped, and twisted my hips and um, some other things. And so I'm there, and he says, visualize, visualize. And I said, it's a big fire. He goes, tell it you have to live with it. You have to live together in this body, and you need to tell him to calm down. And so I'm like, okay. And she goes, what did it say? And I said, it told me to shut up. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, so now what do I do? And he's like, oh, maybe this is not for you. (laughs) You know, I mean, (laughs) really. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I mean, the things I had to do. um, I actually finally went to this doctor who abused me. And um, I can't say a lot about all of that. But it was so traumatic for me that when I went back, I refused the treatment. So he called my insurance company and told me I was completely healed. So they dropped me. And I had to fight because his treatments were so controversial. They actually helped me get it back. And at that point, I was so afraid of this doctor that I called a doctor I had met when I was first in the hospital, who was a psychologist who was the head of a pain, sup- pain unit, and he said, if, I ever, if you ever need me, call me. So I called him, and I told him what had happened to me, and he said, I'm going to put you in the hospital. So I went into the hospital, and I was there for 30 days. It's a long time. And while I was there, I had church members come to see me. At this point, I began to realize... I'm not going to walk again. I'm not going to sit again. I, I'm not going to be able to hike or run. Um, I don't know what's wrong. I, I literally, when my friends would come to see me, and this is a high chair, but I would lay over the chair like this, and my friends would lay on the floor, and I would talk to them because I couldn't sit down, which means I couldn't go to church. I, couldn't, I could only do 15 minutes of any activity without severe Excruciating pain down both my legs. I was afraid to walk across the street because if the pain hits you, you, you just your legs go. And so um, I was going through all this, and it was very discouraging. I mean, they had put a tens unit on me. Does anybody know what that is? Like electrical thing that goes through your body? Yeah, those are real fun too. Uh, Sergio came to visit me at one point, and he went to give me a hug, and he turned the ten, and it went like from three to ten, and all of a sudden I got like a. Ele- you know, I didn't know what happened. I thought, "Wow, best hug ever. I'm going to marry him." <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I just made that up. Usually Sergio is not here when I preach, and he has no idea what I do when he's not around. <laughs> but he came today, so I have to behave. I um, when the church members started coming, I started realizing I was becoming very depressed. Because I kept saying, okay, Jesus, I'm, tar- I'm done with this trial. Look, I'm still happy, and I still love you. I- I'm okay, you can take this away now. And it didn't go away. It went on and on. Um, church members that came told me that if I had faith, I could get up and walk. And I, that pierced me. Because people don't know how to talk to people in pain. And God doesn't take everybody's pain. Paul had a thorn in his flesh his whole life and prayed many times for God to remove it. Sometimes God has a reason. And I remember I asked the hospital to not allow any visitors because I just couldn't take it. So real night, and this is a funny story. Real late at night, there was this woman that snuck up. She was my friend. She didn't speak hardly any English. Uh, sister christina <laughs> she was hispanic and she came in and I, I was like how'd you get in here everything was locked i don't know how double lock doors on this these hospital unit and she come in i come see you i bring you ice cream you know <laughs> i was like yay wait <laughs> that's what i need and she was sitting there oh she goes don't listen they don't know nothing in here and i said Really, she goes, I I had head injury very bad. And I'm sitting here going, this explains a lot. (laughs) And she goes, so every day they bring me, they give me pills and medicine. So I take them, I put them in my mouth, and then after they go, I spit them out. And I was like, oh, that's probably not good. And she goes, oh, no, all that medicine, not good. And she goes, so I put them in my headdress, you know. (laughs) And and so she said, well, it didn't go so good. And I said, what happened? And she goes, when they took the bandage off, all my hair was green and red and yellow. (laughs) (laughs) It was the best visit I had. She was my angel. (laughs) And I loved her so much because she made me laugh. Maybe not think about it, as I um, lay and it began clear, oh, they made me do art. I had to draw pictures of my pain if I was a door. I mean, th- th- there was just some things. I had a German physical therapist. all my physical therapists were amazing, except this one, but she was the first one. You will do this. <laughs> I can still remember her pulling my leg <laughs> on a rolling chair. I was like, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. You will do this. Not then, not again. You'll know, you be crying, baby. Meanwhile, I'm like, die. <laughs> and she's like, you're fine. And the other, I had a therapist that came on the weekend. She was in training or something. I, I still think she was somebody escaped from the mental ward. She was working on my p- the patient next to me. She was a very elderly woman, very fragile. And she broke her arm. I know. Isn't that weird? And she came over, and I'm like, oh, I feel great today. Don't need any help. But she, the woman started screaming, and and um, when the nurse came in, I says, I don't know, but she was working on her, and she started screaming like that. And the x-rayed her, and her arm was broken. <laughs> she didn't come in with that. I was like, oh. Please Lord, send me somebody, to go. and I got the, the therapist that I got saved my life. My ther- I have the most respect for a physical therapist. You begin to change when you go through a severe pain injury. This is what I want you to know so you can minister to people who are in this. Your days become nights and your nights become days the pain at night is so great because you can't you know you're dark and so all you can feel is pain and so you start staying up and i remember nighttime tv the middle of the night is crazy i saw tammy tammy faye baker i saw her marry her dogs yes on a, they had their own tv and they wore wedding dresses and everything and the Ku Klux Klan is on at 2 o'clock in the morning, too. I mean, you'd be so surprised at what's on TV. And it became like my family and my life. You change so much. And the thing that happens in your spirit, and I remember saying, why'd you do this to me, God? Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, I was a missionary, and I could preach, and, and um, I went all over the world, and I got to do this, and then I went to the health down on Ute Pines and I learned how to do health medical ministry and I had people with lupus and all kinds of crazy diseases and now you take away my legs, God? Why? You are not fair. It's not fair. I thought I was your girl and now look what happened. And then it hit me for the first time in my life. God was rejecting me. I all of a sudden went. Ah! He's seen my work, and he doesn't want me anymore. That's why he's hiding me. And I'm gonna tell you, that was the greatest torture. To think that God Himself has rejected you, and I I couldn't see Him anymore. I couldn't talk to him because I failed the test. I failed the test. I couldn't read my Bible. Because the more pain you have, as Tracy Ann says, the more your brain goes away. You can't think straight anymore. You can't see straight anymore. And you just, you hurt. And you just want it to be done. I wish I could say, it went on. It went on to the next year. And the next year, if I had a good day, I'd get up and go to the mall for an hour. And then for the next three days, I'd lay flat. If I went to church, I could only go for 15 minutes. Do you want Sabbath school or church or potluck? I mean, potluck always wins that battle. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to talk and share Sabbath school? Do you want to hear the sermon? And um, I always believed I grew up. How many women grew up you had to wear a dress and have stockings? That was the way, women, you had to go to church. All of a sudden, I couldn't do that because I had to lay flat on benches. And it was like, I felt really bad. I felt like, oh, man, this is not right. You know, I'm being a bad example. Everything changed. And all of a sudden, I was in this pit. And I understood what Job said. Just let me die. I'd rather strangle, just get it over with. There's nothing left for me. I have no meaning I have, there's nothing to look forward to. If I can't work for you, Jesus, I don't want to be here. Well, I did one of those things that you're not supposed to do. I just took my Bible, and I opened it to wherever, and God gave me Isaiah 53, 5. Just like that. Watch me out the wrong way. No, sorry, 63.9. They do have the wrong one. In all of their afflictions, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and mercy, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. I was laying in the hospital bed, and that scripture just... Hit me in all of their afflictions he was afflicted and I closed my eyes and I felt this chain that was around my heart just squeezing my soul, my spirit, my personality out I had nothing left and I could see that chain going all the way up and wrapping around Jesus' heart and it was squeezing his heart in all of our afflictions, he is afflicted, and for the first time, I realized Satan does this to us, but God had allowed it, and I realized he took a big chance because you see, God looked at me, and you see, this test would have made me run back to the world. If I could just go get a drink, if I could just run away from pain, if I could just for five minutes not think about it. And I remember saying to myself, the Lord took a chance because he took me to the very edge of who I am mentally, morally, emotionally. And he he left me there, and I could have left him. And I realized that it was breaking his heart because he didn't have anybody to send to comfort me because so few Christians know what to say when you see somebody that lives in perpetual pain. They don't know what to do. And I realized that it was breaking his heart to have me go through this. And the next piece is that he... He sent an angel of his presence. And I began to realize he had not rejected me. Something else had happened. Because you see, there's a lot of illness inside of our spirits. The physical body is the least of our problems. And God knew that had he allowed me to continue in the path I was in the church, that I would have been a danger to everyone. He saw in me that I love to preach. I love to do mission story. I wanted the conference to recognize me. I was so happy. I wanted to see the woman speaker because there wasn't many back then. And so I all of a sudden realized I wanted men's approval. I was living to finally, you know, get my parking meter, you know, get it checked off. Here I am. I arrived. And God saw that. And all of a sudden, I began to realize there, there was a movie. Do you remember ever see the movie The Color Purple? There's one scene in that where they're walking through a field of lavender. And I think Oprah Winfrey was the actress. And something says, it must make God really mad that we walk through all of this purple, all this beauty that he's made, and we don't notice it. And that began to make me think. Maybe God doesn't need another missionary, another regular pastor. Maybe what he needs is for me to lay here in this bed and appreciate him. Maybe he needs somebody down on earth saying, I love what you did, God. Look how beautiful that is. And please, let me pray. And I began to, like, I began to realize I only have to get I only have to get one person's approval. That's God's. I don't need anybody else's approval. And when it was just me and him living in the pain, every day waking up and I would say, "Show me one thing I can do for somebody. Give me something, Jesus." And he began to put in front of me things and as he healed my Heart and my soul from my own vanity and selfishness and insecurity he gave me pieces of my health back enough to do a little thing for somebody else you see everybody wants to be the big mouthpiece the singer the preacher you know we all want to be up front and be the really person in charge but there's a story, and I love it, and I got all of these things about the. These are the things that God has taught me in pain. There was a woman who called a pastor, very successful pastor, a couple thousand people in his church every week, growing and growing, fabulous sermons, fabulous everything. And he gets a call from an elderly woman in the church, and she said, Pastor, I need you to come and see me. He didn't really know who she was, you know. He really had a lot going on, but he thought I'd better go see her. She goes, I'm dying. I need you to see me. I want to make sure you have somebody to take my place. And he was like, oh, okay. And so he asked around, and nobody really knew who she was. And so he gets to her house, and he's like um, talking to her. And she goes, you did get somebody to take my place? And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, And she goes, who's taking my place? And uh, he goes, I'm so sorry. I have to be honest with you. I don't know what you do in the church. And she goes, well, every every week since I was injured and I haven't been able to return to church because I can't sit in a pew. And she goes, I took it as my job to pray for you. Now, I have been praying that God will make you smarter than you are funnier than you are, more successful than you can imagine, that he would bring people to church. And as he was sitting there, he began to dawn on him that his success had nothing to do with him. It had everything to do with this woman, that this woman was an eyelash on the body of God, just an eyelash. But that eyelash protected the eye of God. And she began to, he began to realize, oh, no, I don't have anybody to replace her. Who is going to pray for me like that? And, you know, I pray for Sergio like that, too. I pray every week God makes him smarter and funnier and, you know. And I'm always blessed by his wisdom. <laughs> I have to tell you this story, my favorite, all-time favorite pastoral story. There was a pastor that went to visit an elderly woman. And he hadn't eaten all day. He's running, running, running. He's sitting down. And he sits down, and there's a bowl of peanuts between the two of them. This has nothing to do with my sermon. I want you to know. And so he starts eating these peanuts, and he's eating them. And next thing you know, he's eating the whole bowl. He says, I'm so sorry. I ate all of your peanuts. He goes, don't worry about it. I already sucked all the chocolate off of them. You know, come on. <laughs> I all of a sudden be changed, and I realized there is great, great power in little pieces. Satan can take away your body, your job, your health. He can so hurt you and destroy you that you feel hopeless. You feel hopeless, and you'd rather die than continue. But you, in that weakened state, can do more damage to Satan's kingdom. And I began to realize that I was in the most powerful place of all. Me with no back. Us with our eyes missing. Our ears are falling out. Our bodies are going, I mean, come on. Just when your kids leave the house and you think you got the world figured out and you're ready to go, you go through menopause. And your brain falls out. What is that about? We're not going to win this battle. Sin has set in. It's taking this earth. But we, the weakest Christian, Satan trembles when we fall to our knees in prayer. If you are in a condition where you are just trapped, pray. Just pray. If nothing else, pray for the pastor. Pray for his crazy wife, please. You know, pray for these people sitting around you in church. Um, that's I'm trying to make sure. In the end of his life, you know, Job cries out, though he slay me, yet will I love him. And I want you to know, once I put those stories that God gave me during that time together, and I started not caring what people thought, but only if I was pleasing Jesus, all of a sudden I got more calls to preach than I had ever preached before. But I felt like I could peel skin because I didn't really care about playing church or getting people's approval. I wanted to know, how do I make Jesus real? Because when you lose everything, Jesus becomes everything. And I thought, how do I let people know about this? So um, I don't want to... By the way, Job? Job? Job ended up at the end of his... He... uh, 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 you got to see it. He says, I know that you can do all things. No plan of yours can be thwarted. There's nothing that can happen to you on earth that is going to take away God's plan. He will work in it, around it, and through it, and turn it into something else. You asked, who who is this obscures my counsel without knowledge? Surely I spoke things I did not understand, things too wonderful for me to know. My ears had heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Isn't that a beautiful piece of scripture? It's from Job 42. And at the end, he says, You know, before I thought I knew you, this is a greater glory than I have ever known. I didn't understand when I was complaining and wishing I was dead, wishing I was never born. I didn't understand you have a plan, God. And in the end of his life, God doubles everything he ever owned. Like 14,000 camels, and I don't and so many. And I hope he got a new wife, please. And, and returned new children. And the children he had comforted him from the loss of his other children. His friends repented. He said, You are terrible friends. And God said, That's it, I'm done. I'm going to get rid of them. And Job even prays for his friends, and they come, and they are his comforters. Okay. I have a very special song for you. I know it seems a little sad, but it is the song from that time of my life. And it means so much to me. And I hope you can just close your eyes and just let Jesus hear your heart. Just call him out to do something with what you're doing.